Morning, everyone. It's good to be back with you again. Jill and I had the privilege, if that's the right word, to be at a Kelly last night, um, which is part of a wedding that I was partly responsible for yesterday. And when I got up, the mor- up this morning, I knew I had been at a Kelly last night. <laughs> and I was thinking, when I was getting up out of the chair, it's just as well that the Lord knows our down sitting and our uprising. But uh, it's really good to be back with you again. Going to continue our study in the book of Joshua, reading from Joshua chapter 1 and verse 10. And we're going to read to the end of the chapter. Just a little recap as we begin. Uh, You may remember that Joshua found this task thrust upon him by God uh, with the memorable words, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River. And I pointed out last Sunday that the Jordan at this time, the time of the harvest, was in flood, about a mile wide. And God spoke to Joshua, but he didn't give him any instructions at this point in time as to how it was going to happen. How do you get a nation with women and children and animals across a river that's in flood. But Joshua believed God, and it's interesting that at verse 10 just begins with this little word, so. If you're reading the authorized version, it begins with the word then. So I'd like to put them together, so then, because that brings the force of what the Hebrew actually says. Because Joshua had been promised the the presence of God with him, so then he reacted thus, and we read the words from verse 10 onwards. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But then to two and a half tribes, to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you. And until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you east of the Jordan, towards the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just, I think this is a tongue-in-cheek statement, what happens in verse 17. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Because if ever there was a disobedient crew, it was the Israelites. And they didn't obey Moses. So I don't know whether this would be an encouragement to Joshua or not. But just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. 
Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. This is, is one of the, the great sequences of events in the whole of the Bible that we have from Joshua 1 onwards. And some of you will know many of these stories and know some of the songs about these stories. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, etc., etc. And they carry that sort of element with them, that sort of thought of a God who is in control of history, a God who's working out his purpose amongst the nations. And I think it's important that we begin there this morning and we recognize that God hasn't washed his hand of mankind and disappeared into the ether and said, well, get on with it. Quite the opposite. Whenever the Lord Jesus said to us that we should pray, give us this day our daily bread, it's a reminder of the fact that you and I are utterly dependent upon him. When I was teaching in a Roman school on one occasion, I had a wee fellow in the, in the group called Jimmy Pollock. And Jimmy was quite a bright lad, but he had a real blind spot. And he said to me one day, he said, Sir, um, is there anything that you know that hasn't come from God? And I immediately said, no. He said, well, what about baked beans? <laughs> and I said, well, where do baked beans come from? And he said, well, they're made in a factory. I said, yes, I know that, Jimmy. That's where they're processed, but they grow on the ground. No, they don't. Hines make them in the factory. So the following day, because you could do this in the Roman school, I just altered the curriculum slightly and took in a couple of tins of beans. And I took in a couple of pods of beans because it was springtime. And I said to Jimmy, I want you to really examine those. And I put them in groups of three. And I said, have a real hard look at those beans. And I said, tell me what you notice. And eventually... God bless him. He said, there's a, wee, there's a wee bit that sticks out of one side. I said, that's really interesting. Do you think Heinz went to all the trouble of designing a bean that had that wee bit sticking out of the one side? <laughs> he just looked at me, and he knew where this was going, I suppose. And he said, well, they must have done. So I produced the bean pods and produced a few beans, passed them around the class, and said, look, have a look at those. And said, tell me what you notice. And they come up with all sorts of things. Jimmy did. Talked about the skin, talked about the colour, talked about everything else. And I said, Jimmy, do you see a wee bit sticking out the side? And very reluctantly he said, yes, sir. And I said, what do you think that was attached to? So I showed him the pod. You have to take things very slowly, don't we? You know? And anyhow, to cut a very long story short, eventually he acknowledged that the beans in the tin had originally been in the pod. And I think sometimes we forget that immediacy of the Almighty to our continued existence. He is the one who supplies our food every day. And you'll notice as Joshua commences this journey with this people who had been so reluctant to follow God a generation earlier, 
You'll notice that he says to the officers in verse 10, thank you, Kevin, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. In any venture for God, it's necessary to make preparation. In any venture for God, it's necessary to make preparation. Get your supplies ready. You know who was feeding them at this particular time? They were getting bread from heaven every morning from God's kitchen. It's called manna. We we'll think about that again this evening. But it's called manna in the Old Testament. And the word manna, interestingly enough, is a question. It means, what is it? What is it? So when the Israelites first saw this on the floor of the desert, they said, what is it? Never seen it before. So that's how it got its name. We call it manna. And it's interesting just to recognize that what Joshua was actually saying to the people was gather up your supplies. As the Lord gives it to you fresh every day, eat it as he gives it to you, but recognize that you're dependent on him from day to day for your sustenance. Gather it up. Gather it together. <coughs> recognize his hand. Get your supplies ready. The days ahead were going to be greatly demanding. They were going to go ways that they'd never gone before. They were going to see things they'd never seen before. They were going to see the intervention of God in the nation's life, which was impossible to fulfill other than by the hand of a God who can do miracles. And he says to them, listen, we need your cooperation in this. If we as a people are going to go forward with God, we need to have the awareness of God in our existence. Three days from now, one of the first questions I want to ask Joshua when I see him in heaven <laughs> is to ask him how he knew it was going to be three days. So we're not told in the, in the verses that precede this. So whether this was a statement of faith, that, the God, was, that God was going to fulfill his purpose in three days, now, I know those of you who are Christian thinkers, your mind's already running along a track, isn't it? Three days and three nights. As Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. Three days. At the right time. Three days from now, you'll cross the Jordan here. And God only always starts with where we're at. You know, I think sometimes as Christians we want God to, to do something next. And that's good. You know, we expect him to be involved in our lives ongoingly. But he wants us to recognize his hand with us now. It was God who had brought them to this particular place. Because we know that the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day was directing the Israelites every step. So it was God who had brought them to this particular place. And interestingly enough, it was right opposite Jericho, which was the greatest stronghold in, this, in the southwestern part of Canaan at this particular time. And you think to yourself, why does God do that? 
Why does God bring them to this river when it's in flood? Why does he bring them here when they're going to cross over right against Jericho? Because his ways are not our ways. I think as Christians, we, we sometimes get to the stage of telling God the way we want our lives to be. I know I do. But that's not what it's about, is it? It's about God doing in our lives what he wants us to be. It's not me telling God what I want him to do. It's about me bringing my life into line with his will. I've recognized that he's brought me here. And it's interesting that you have that little word there in verse 10. You will cross the Jordan here to win and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. A present continuous tense. God keeps on giving. He's extremely generous. He's giving you for your own. So the Lord's hand was not just in the food they were eating, but in the terrain they were going to conquer. It was the gift of God to the nation. The Lord keeps giving us gifts, doesn't he? The clothes we wear, the places we're fortunate enough to live in. He is just the way he is. And the more you and I recognize that the earth is the Lord's, if I may quote another verse from the Psalms, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The more you and I recognize that, the more dependent you and I will become as far as our thinking and demeanor is concerned. So we'll get up in the morning and we'll say, Lord, no idea what's going to happen today, but my life is in your hands. That's just great, isn't it? And if the Lord decides in his wisdom that it's time and he will at one point, that it's time to take me home. That will be the right time. I was asked to speak at one of my uncle's funerals some years ago in the Isle of Wight. And the thing that the Lord laid on me was just a little phrase, there's a time to live and a time to die. And each is in the Lord's hands. You know, we often think the living bit is, because that's the bit we like. But the dying bit is as well. Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints, if I might quote another phrase. He knows the way that I take. And it's this sense of dependence which arises again and again in this story of the Israelites and their journey into Canaan. So it's not about going to heaven. That's not, you know, people used to think that um, this whole story of the book of Joshua is what, about, was what heaven's like. There are no battles in heaven. Canaan has got nothing to do with heaven. Canaan has got everything to do with the life and ministry of the Christian as they walk through the land with the, with the awareness of God giving those particular instances into their lives in order to prove to them just how great he is. You and I are to experience the Lord in fresh and new ways ongoingly in our lives. And Cameron has entered into this. I'm hoping to get a chance for a wee chat with him afterwards. But it's just the beginning. I can remember when I was converted as a youngster, not much, well, probably about the same age as Cameron. I can remember thinking to myself, I had arrived, you know, at some way or other because I had become a Christian, that that was the be all and end all. It was the being bit, but the end is yet to be. You know, you walk with God ongoingly. And, and this focus which arises here is just that. So the land was the Lord's gift. 
But the possession of it was the people's responsibility. That was being said. You're to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you for your own. We have to appropriate that which the Lord says to us. Now, they had a great advantage because they knew exactly what the Lord's will was for them. They knew he was going to take them across the river. They knew that somehow or other they were going to be faced with the massive problem of Jericho. So they, they, they knew what the Lord's will was. They knew it was the Lord's will to give them the land. But the taking possession of it is appropriating the Lord's will into my life and living. And I say this carefully, my dear brothers and sisters, this morning. It's laying our lives into his hands. It's not saying to the Lord, I'm going to do this and you better bless it. And I fear at times we do that. But it's setting the whole of our situation into his hands so that we will know his blessing in it. And you'll recognize that's not a subtle distinction. That, that's a real distinction. Sixty years of marriage. I admire your fortitude, both of you. But it's a great statement of the Lord's faithfulness. And a, a statement of awareness of his presence. And we notice that little note in the update. Because that's where it's at. It's the Lord who brings us together. It's the Lord who keeps us together. It's this recognition that his hand is in our living. So the Lord is giving you for your own. It's still his, but he's giving it to you for your own. That's why, as I've said, as referred already to later verses, the earth, the Lord's, the fullness are all. The, the gifting is ongoing generation to generation. In fact, when the law was applied in the nation of Israel ongoingly, they had to give the land back to the Lord every 50 years. They had to set their, their slaves free. You know the story of the year of Jubilee. And, you know, the whole emphasis in their living was to recognize this was a permanent loan from the Lord as long as they walked with him. And if they weren't prepared to walk with him, he took it away from them. And that, of course, is what happened. And we know that from history. You know, the beauty of the, of the Old Testament is you can prove the truth of it in history. I mean history, history, not Bible history. And you look at what's happening in the nation today and you see the fulfillment of what God promised. Because this is what he promised. But I must hurry on or we're going to be here a long time this morning and that's not my purpose. And you have this interesting paragraph from verse 12 through 15 where Joshua says very directly to the two and a half tribes the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, who was one of Joseph's sons, the descendants that came from Manasseh, had been given the land to the east of the Jordan. So if you look at a map of Israel, and remember the top bit's the north and the bottom bit's the south, the east of the Jordan is to the right. And if you look at a map of ancient Israel, you should see on the right of the Jordan uh, and sort of curved print the land of Manasseh, the land of the Gadites, the land of the Reubenites. So they had already received it. 
There have been two battles fought. You can read off them earlier in the book of Deuteronomy. There have been two battles fought which led to them receiving their inheritance. This was the bit that God had decided they should have. So they had already received it. Now the temptation obviously would have been to say, tough fellas, you're on your own. You know, the other ten and a half, if you can go off and do your own conquering, we got our bit. So our bit's nice and we're going to settle here. And uh, that's the end of the story. So it's to counteract that you have these statements here. Let me just touch on them. It's not my purpose to delve into them this morning. Verse 13. Remember the command that Moses, that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land, as I say. Read about that in the early chapters of Deuteronomy. Your wives, your children, your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But... All your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over, and I never noticed this before, forgive my lax reading of Scripture, must cross over ahead of your brothers. Hold on a minute, Joshua. We've got our bit. Why should we be the vanguard for the tribes? Because that's what God says. Now I want to apply that, if I may, just very directly to you and us, you and me in our present situation here in Britain. We have been hugely blessed of the Lord. I believe primarily because of, of the faithfulness of our forefathers. Having received the blessings of the Lord that we have, we have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters who are still involved in the sharp end of the battle. We have a responsibility to give to them of our substance. We learn that from the teaching of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. We have the responsibility to bear them up in prayer. Brothers and sisters that we hear of who are, who are shell-shocked because of what's happening to them in what were previously Christian communities. I'm thinking of our brothers and sisters in northern Nigeria in southern Sudan, in parts of Indonesia, in parts of the Philippines, in parts of Russia. You know, men and women who are your and my brothers forever, who are suffering under extreme pressure, who are being dispossessed, Jill and I have a wee booklet that we look at most mornings and it talks about various individuals who have been dispossessed. And I'm not talking donkeys years ago, you know, last year, this year. Why are they dispossessed? Because they're Christians. Who's responsible for helping them to, to regain something of their, even the necessities of life? You and me. And we have to enter into this integration, the, the awareness that the Christian church is not just what happens in Penton or what happens in the UK or happens in, in, in Western Europe. It's about what happens. The church in its worldwide expression, we have responsibilities to one another. And so the men of war of, of Reuben and of Gad and of Manasseh didn't have the option 
of staying on the soft side of the river. They were going to see great things as God worked through them. But they were going to be at the sharp end because that was which God required of them. So you are to help your brothers. Verse 15. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest. See, the Lord's in control. And I keep coming back to that. I've been hugely blessed in my studies this week. Because it's all about the Lord. It's all about what God is doing. It's all about recognizing that we are workers together with him. He's doing the work. But we are workers together with him. We've been brought into this relationship with one another through the death and, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus and our faith in him. And it's to express that oneness. That's the burden of the Lord's heart this morning. Now look what follows here. You're to stay with them until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you. And until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which most of the servants of the Lord gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. And then, as I pointed out, and I close with this this morning, they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. In other words, they are placing themselves under the authority of Joshua's leadership. Charles Price, whom many of you will have heard of, Charles, who comes from South Wales, and in spite of that, is a lovely guy. Charles says this, Leadership cannot operate independently of the people. The effective strength of Joshua depends upon the cooperating strength of God's people. Let me read that to you again. Leadership cannot operate independently of the people. The effective strength of Joshua depends upon the cooperating strength of God's people. So recognize this, and we need to apply this, of course, to our own lives. Those that the Lord has placed in a position of leadership over us, we owe our loyalty to the Lord, but we owe our response to that to those whom the Lord has placed over us. And you'll notice what these folks say. Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. But they take it a stage further. Wherever you send us, we will go. I mentioned the irony at the beginning of verse 17. Just if we fully obey Moses, we'll fully obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. In other words, it was the responsibility of Joshua as their leader to walk closely to the Lord so that the people could identify that in, the, in his leadership. We want to see, Joshua, that the Lord is with you. And when a man is godly, it will be recognized by the people of God, necessarily. When they recognize that God is in control of someone's life, they will, will have that desire to, to recognize what's being said and to respond to it. May the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses, because if you demonstrate he's not with you, we'll know you're not obeying him. Only be strong and courageous. Now, you don't even have to be as old as I am to recognize that the Lord keeps saying to Joshua, from all places, from Moses, be strong and courageous. 
We thought of that in chapter 31 of the book of Deuteronomy. The Lord says to him three times in verses 3 through 10, Be strong and very courageous. And the people say to him, Be strong and courageous. Do you think Joshua got the message? Do you think he recognized how weak and frail he was? Of course he did. But he was going to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Recognized as the Apostle Paul did, when I am weak, then am I strong, for your grace is sufficient for me. So there's a whole bundle of truth just lying in these verses. And it seems to me, and the Lord has really been laying this into my heart this week, it seems to me I need to get back every week to these first principles. We're never self-sufficient. We're never even able as Christians. The Lord is the source of the five loaves and two fishes. You know, the disciples didn't multiply them. I think sometimes we think we can bless one another. We can't. It's only the Lord blesses us that we can be blessing anywhere. It's all from him. It's, he, he's the source. He's the engineer. He's the director. He's the one who's going to get these folk across this mile-wide river in a way which has never been done before or since. Because that's who he is. He does things that have never been done before or since. That's why they're called miracles. And if they kept happening every day, they wouldn't be miracles. You know, God, God is God. He, he, he expresses himself as he chooses. But you and I have got to be strong in him and courageous. Stick our necks out. If there's one time in our society when we need to speak up for the Lord Jesus, it's here and now. And it's going to require courage. But the courage comes from him. The courage is a recognition of our weakness and saying, well, Lord, can't stand this anymore. You're speaking into my heart. I've got to speak this. And tell it like it is from the word of God and allow the word of God by the spirit of God to work in our lives and in the lives of those that we share our ministry in Christ with. God bless you. We'll pray together and then we'll sing our closing song. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word and thank you again for the immediacy of the statements that are made in the scriptures to Joshua's ongoing real experience. We thank you that it's just not a, a nice story but it's an expression of the way you used a man or the people to fulfill your will in a particular part of the world at this time. And Father, we, we, we realize that you are in us by your Spirit and you want to work through us. And we pray that you'll help us to cooperate with you. Help us to recognize that our will needs to be made subject to your will. We need to recognize your authority. We need to recognize your word to our hearts as we read it and think about it. And Lord, I do pray that you'll help me not to become a castaway having preached to others. You'll help me to recognize day by day the, the reality of this experience of you, which you, in your graciousness, share with us. So we pray in a, in a fresh and new way, at a point of new beginning as it was for these Israelites. Would you help us to take the first step with you? and then the next, and the ongoing one. And just to follow you, to be dedicated to you and to your purpose. 
so that your will might be fulfilled in us. We lay our lives before you, Father, in Jesus' name.